Bible, if you're standing, remain standing. We're going to read from the book of Jude, just a couple of verses. Jude 3 and 4. Jude 3 and 4. When you got it, say so. All right, I'll wait. Only one person has it. Only one. Jude 3 and 4. When you got it, say so. All right, there we go. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for these wonderful reminders in song that you are worthy of all praise, that your name is great, that you are Lord, that you are unrivaled, that you are glorious and powerful, God. Father, we humble ourselves before you. And we do declare those words, God, that you are great. And we pray this morning, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church, that you would speak to us, God, from your throne, and that our lives would be changed from glory to glory. We ask you this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord so we are continuing in our series, Defending the Faith, and today I'm going to talk about, I entitled this message, Contending Against Creeps, Contending Against Creeps. And so when you look at what, what, what he said here in verse 4, he said, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. And so I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the phrase, you know, he's a creep or what a creep, but uh, the, de the definition of the word creep, um, it means this, it means to move slowly. That's what it is. It is it is to move slowly. And if you look up this word crept in, it means to come in or to slip in stealthily or to come in by stealth. And so what we realize is this, is that no different than when Jude penned these words, we are seeing the same tactics being used by the enemy. No different than when Jude wrote these words uh, almost 2,000 years ago when he was warning the church, he was reminding the church that there was some folks that have crept in. There was some people who have crept in by stealth. They, they didn't come in, you know, with a bullhorn saying, hey, I'm a false teacher. You know, they didn't walk in. You know, we think about the devil that we see written, you know, drawn in pictures and, you know, conveyed in things with a, you know, pitchfork and, you know, he's red and long, you know, pointy tail, and, you know, that's not how Satan comes in. The scripture says what? That Satan comes in as an angel of light. He makes himself blend in as much as possible. And one of the things that we realize is that in the church today, and this is sad to say, it is easier for him to mingle. It is easier for him to blend in. Right. If you think about this, right, if you turn off, if we turn the lights down, right, we go, not, we don't have to, but, you know, if we turn the lights down, uh, it would seem dark for a moment. 
But then what would happen is your eyes would start to adjust to the little bits of cracks of light in the room. You know, your pupils begin to dilate and, and you, you begin to acclimate and you begin to, oh, well, I can, I can move around this. Think about your house, right? Like, at, you know, if you walk into a room, shut the light off, it's, it's dark in there and you're like, okay, you know, especially for me, I have a dog and I have a son and they are both a mess. Hello. And and so there there there's never it's 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 never like that perfect clean you know space like at any given moment you could step on a toy that will send you into a carnal moment hallelujah right where where you are you are in pain and you know you you may have been impaled who knows and and then with the dog you know he's you know tearing stuff up moving stuff around and you know he chews stuff up halfway leaves it on the floor creates a weapon you know that that kind of stuff right and so the point is when you turn off the light you got to think, hold on a second. I don't have, do I have, do I have shoes on right now? Did, did I come prepared for the darkness? <laughs> but as your eyes acclimate, you see, you see things you didn't see before. And I want you to understand what I'm saying. And this, this saddens me to even say this. The church has become so accustomed with accommodating to less light that it's easier for the enemy to creep in. For him to just join us because we don't want to confront things. We, we have this issue with definitions. We have this issue. We don't want to call sin, sin. We don't want to call wrong, wrong. We don't want to call righteous, righteous. And when you start doing that, you start dimming the light, dimming the light to where it's easy for folks to just, you know, masquerade. <laughs> I want you to think about this this morning. Contending for the faith is the difference between a potent and impotent church. Contending for the faith is the difference between a potent or an impotent church. We will either be a church that makes a difference. We will either be a church, and I'm not just talking about core faith. I mean, I'm preaching to the church right now. But the church as a whole, the difference between us being a potent church, a church that is impactful and powerful, is going to be our willingness to contend for the faith. Because if we are unwilling to contend for the faith, we will be impotent. We will, have, we will be incapable of making impact in the culture the way that we should. The power of God won't be manifesting because the fact is this. There is one message that saves men. There is one message, and that is the gospel that we should not be ashamed of. The problem is the gospel only, only um, captures or rescues people who recognize where they are. You see, if I come and tell you Jesus loves you, and I come and tell you about how good he is, and I come and tell you that he died for you, you're going to be like, why did he die for me? You see, then I have to confront you with the reason what we do in communion. We're reminded of our sin. We are reminded of the fact that something sent Jesus to the cross. And if it's just lifestyle choices, if it's just decisions we make, if it's just disorders, if there's no sin, then we have a problem. And so we have to come to this place that we are contending for the faith. The first thing I would ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, contending for the faith. Contending for the faith. Oh, man, Pastor Aldo, thank you for that enthusiastic support. I appreciate that. Let's try that again. Contending for the faith. Contending for 
See, there y'all go. Y'all not as scared of your voices. Come on now. Work with me here. Must be born. There you go. Out of a desire to encourage faith. Contending for the faith must be born out of a desire to encourage faith. See, there's something that has to happen for us when we're talking about contending for the faith because there, 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 there are some of us, and I say some of us because I'm one of us, right, that, that, that is, that, that, you know, I, I, I enjoy a good debate, you know, I, I, I enjoy a good argument. I, I enjoy a good conversation, even if it's a text message and my fingers are going numb, right? Uh, but but I, enjoy, I enjoy a good conversation. I enjoy talking about stuff. I enjoy, you know, sharing ideas. I enjoy sitting down with folks and hearing what they're thinking. But I also like to inject my opinion. Come on now. Because I'm not some blank slate that just, you know, woke up and I just want to hear all the things you think and I have no opinion on anything, right? right? However, we must recognize the difference between an overzealous, contentious spirit and a genuine passion and boldness given by the Holy Spirit to contend for the truth. We have to, see, and I have to keep myself in check, right? Like, I, I like listen, you know, on Facebook, on Twitter, you're going to see a tweet in a moment that I actually thought about for like two days before, or not two days, a day and a half, whatever, so I gave it 24 hours. You know, I thought about, man, what, what do I want to say in this moment, right? Because I just, you know, I, I, want, I want to answer everything. I want to answer everyone. I want to help everyone. Hello. But I got to recognize, when is it that it's just my, my, my natural desire to be, you know, intellectual and be confrontational, or when it is the spirit of the living God who is moving me to be bold in a situation? It should never be. Think about this. It should never be, when we're talking about contending for the faith, it should never be about winning an argument or making a point. It should never be about that. Even, no, listen, no matter what you're, it's not about a W. It's not about getting the win like, yo, I got you. Right. It's, it's not about, oh, you, you, you can't say nothing now. If that's your goal, you're never going to win anyone to Christ. Because contending for the faith is about impacting others for good. It is, it's not about making a point. It's about making a difference. It is about impacting someone for good, impacting someone for the gospel. So I said, contending for the faith must be born out of a desire to encourage faith. Notice how Jude writes. Look what he says. He says, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. What was his starting point? His starting point was, I just want to encourage your faith. I just want to encourage your faith. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to win an argument. I'm, I'm not trying to expose anyone. I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. I'm, I'm not trying. Nope. I just want to encourage your faith. But he says, he goes on, and he says, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And so the other day, one of my, one of my buddies from Forge, his name is Scott he came, him and I have gone to lunch a couple of times. We went to lunch the other day, and we were at lunch, and he was sharing with me just what God was doing in his heart. 
And I was sharing with him our conference that we had here or, you know, a workshop on intercession and just how I really sense that God is calling the church and, you know, has been for a long time. But, you know, especially coming out of 2020, just really calling the church back to that place of focus, back to that place of fasting and prayer, back to that place of intercession, because that's where revival is born. That's where awakenings happen. You know, it's not about all this other stuff that we get caught up in. And so he began to share with me some of the same things that were going on in him. And then he was like, man, I just, you know, I, I have this desire to do something. And he says, I'm not sure if you're interested in it. He said, but, you know, I, I, I just want to go, you know, around and knock on people's doors. And, you know, right away everybody's like, oh, knock on people's doors. And you think about no soliciting. And you think, all right. You know, I, I just want to go around and knock on people's doors and just ask them if we can pray for them. And just, see, and, and, you know, just be there for them. And he's like, and as he's saying this, I'm sitting there in this seat, right? And, and, I'm, and I'm battling inside of myself because I'm good right here. I, and, and I'm good in a conversation. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm good. In, but, but knocking on someone's door is just, you know, like, like there's a couple of things that I'm just not super comfortable with. That's one of them. But I knew it was God that was dealing with me and saying, I, w- I want you to step out in faith. I want, you to, I want you to move beyond the four walls of the church. And so I was like, all right, Lord, I'm your servant, not my own. And so I said, I, I, I made myself say yes without question. I said, listen, let's go next Wednesday. And he was like, all right, great. So whatever. So we go out. We were, we were in Hector's neighborhood, actually. He, was, he picked me up here. We prayed in the parking lot. We go to Hector's neighborhood. This was Wednesday. And we just spent an hour to do this. We knocked on like eight doors. We went out there, and the goal was, we, you know, we knocked on the first door, right? So the first door, knock on the door. Lady comes out, she cracks the door open, her face is like right here on the door. She's like literally looking like this at us. And, 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 you know, Scott is like, hey, I'm Scott, you know, this is Jason, we're Christians, we're here, we're not trying to sell you anything, and, we're, you know, we're, we just want to know, you know, obviously, you know, 2020 has been a difficult year, and, you know, with COVID and everything, there's been a lot of separation, a lot of people are thinking, where is God, you know, and we just want to be here to let you know that God is here. God hasn't forgotten about you, and we would love to pray for you, you know, if you would allow us to pray for you, and if there's anything, she was like, no, thank you, and then she said, God bless you, I'm like, all right, I guess he's a Christian, something, whatever, so it was all good, so she already had Jesus, she didn't need us. We go to the next person's door. It was so cool, right? We go to the next person's house. We go to the next door. The lady answers the door. Scott starts going through his whole little speech, and the lady's like, one second. I don't even know if she said one second. She was like, hold on. She went, and she got her iPad, and she, her son, her daughter was on, on Zoom with her, on FaceTime with her in Germany. The, she didn't speak English, so her daughter was the translator in the conversation, and really, we, we just had a, con- he had a conversation with the daughter because, you know, it's a screen like this big, right? So you can't really see. So it's like this. So this is what it looked like. So she's holding the, her, her, her thing like this. And Scott is, you know, having a conversation with the daughter. So the daughter is in Germany having a conversation saying, thank you guys so much, you know, for coming around and doing this. You know, and she, her English is not very good. And she's trying to explain. And Scott is like trying to say, so where are you on your spiritual journey? So on and so forth. How can we pray for you? And she's like, well, pray for my kids, you know, whatever. And so we we prayed with somebody in Germany. So we go to the next door. The next person that we go to, we go to, we go to his house, his name, I'm not going to tell you his name, but anyway, I'm praying for him. He comes out. We, we start having a conversation and, you know, find out that he's a Christian. They're new here. 
Uh, they've only been here for a certain uh, a short, short period of time. They watched some, you know, somebody on TV. I've never heard of the church or whatever the case is. And so we prayed for him. And I and I said, well, hey man, I'll be because you know I I went out there and I didn't bring any cards from the church because I was really trying to be faithful, right? Like I wasn't trying to sell anyone anything. But I realized, yo man, you need to have a card just because if someone's there, they may need a church, right? Like I should think that way, right? Anyway. But I'm not trying to sell core faith, right? Like, that's not my goal. I really want to be about the Father's business, right? So I said, hey, man, I'll come back. You know, I'll bring you a card. So I did. I went back. I followed and brought him a card. We go to the next door. There's a, she's standing outside. We didn't even get to the door. She's in the garage with her son. And then she was like, hey, um, you, know, she's, uh, you know, she tells us we can pray for her. And we ask her how we can pray. She was very, you know, you could feel like she was kind of, you know, like, what are y'all trying to sell me? Why y'all want to pray for me? Prayed for her. Go to the next door, they open the door, smell like they were having a weed fest in there. <laughs> Did a little spiel. He was like, hey, man, I have some guests over here right now. Like, he was like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll see you later. Got a little contact. I'm just kidding. I'm joking completely. <laughs> it was that intense, though. But anyway, but he was gracious, right? He was gracious. He, you know, go to the next door. We get to this next door. We get, the, the, the gentleman is, his. I can't tell you his name, but. We go to the door. His kids are outside playing. His kids are outside playing, and we're like, hey, you know, is your mom home? And he says, no, my dad's home. So I was like, cool. The dad comes out. He, he does one of these. You know, he's, yeah, how can I help you all? And we're like, hey, you know, we just wanted to know, you know, if we can pray for you, so on and so on, go through the whole thing. So he was open. So he comes to the, he says, yeah, sure, let me go get my Crocs. And he, he comes outside, puts his mask on, comes, you know, is, is stand out there with us. So Scott begins to share the gospel with him, walks through the bridge illustration that we go through, that God is here, man is here, we're separated from him, begins to go through all that. Because he's asking him, like, what, where are you at spiritually? So we end up praying for this guy to receive Jesus, and we pray for him in that moment. And he's like, you know, we're asking him, do you have a Bible? You know, asking him the questions, you know, like, do you, are you spiritual? You know, are you, like, you know where's, where are you at spiritually or whatever? And he's like, well, I believe that there is a God. I'm just not sure which one. And that's, you know, went into the whole presentation. And the beauty of it was, you know, he didn't have a Bible, so I was able to go back. I, you know, gave him a Bible, gave him some information and stuff like that. And then we went to one last house. And we went to this last house. We knocked on the door, and nobody answered. So we walked away. So as we're walking away, the person comes out the door, and this is somebody that I knew. And they knew me, and I was like, hey, is that so-and-so? And we turn around, and when we go back to this door to have this conversation, she begins to tell us about her marriage, the decision that she just had to make, and all of this. And we were able to pray for her. And I said, let me tell you something. I said, if you don't think that God is here in this decision that you have to make, then you're missing him. Why do I share all this with you? Well, first of all, I hope it encourages you not to be fearful. I can assure you there was, a, there, there was probably a couple of doors that I don't remember right now that didn't want anything to do with us or whatever the case was. But nonetheless... The point is this. We didn't go out there to argue with people. We didn't go out there to make people feel bad. We went out there to encourage faith. We say it every week. We engage people where they are building faith in Christ. That's what we went to do. That's why I said yes, and I'm going to say yes again, and I'm going to challenge you. Hey, you know what? When you get off work, you know, take one hour. It was just one hour. We spent one hour. Spend one hour a week. Let me challenge you. Spend one hour a week. Just knock on some, on some folks' door and just, just do the little spiel. I'll send it to you, glory to God. Real simple. 
and, and just see how many people you can impact with the gospel. Because first of all, I was so humbled because I realized, man, how many people are right in one little, we didn't even get to the whole cul-de-sac, are you here? We got to eight doors, and there was so much spiritual need that was present, and there was opportunities for us to share the gospel and hopefully, you know, continue to help a couple of men grow in their faith and hopefully, you know, impact families for Jesus. And so this is what we're called to do. We're not just called to go out there and just argue with folks. We're not just called to go out there and just, you know, just make this big uh, case that, that you know, we, we're, we're, we're so harsh and hardcore, right? We're supposed to love people. This is what Jude was doing. He was loving people. He was caring about where people were. What does he go on to say? He said that I, I wanted to encourage you, exhorting you to contend earnestly. What does it mean to contend earnestly? Now, I want you to notice there's two different things here. Because we're knocking on people's doors, we don't know where they are in their faith. So we're going in the love and, and, and the power of the gospel and, you know, being led by the Spirit to minister to people. But now there's another side to this story, which is in the house, church. And, and let me say this, that's what the problem with, and I love the cameras and I love the podcast, but that's one of the major issues with the church being so globalized like it is, is that it's hard to deal with in the house. Because we forget that Jude is writing to the church and he's saying, I want to exhort you, church, to contend for the faith in and among the people of God. See, sometimes we get this twisted and we get it mixed up. It means when you look at this word uh, to, to, to contend earnestly, it's a military term or an athletic term. You've heard it before. It means to struggle or to have an intense effort. In other words, what Jude is saying is you should be passionate. You should be devoted to contending for the faith. I love what one writer says. He says, strive even to death for the truth and the Lord will fight for you. Strive even to the death for the truth, and the Lord will fight for you. It has to be understood, understood the truth is worthy of dying for because people are dying without it. The truth is worthy to die for. Like I said when I was sitting down with my friend Scott, I'm not dying. It, it, it may be embarrassing. It may be, you know, I may feel a little bit awkward knocking on someone's door, but man, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Contending for the faith. You got to think about this because look what he says. To contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. What does that mean to be delivered to? It means this. It means to give into the hands of another. So what is, what, 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 when we think about contending for the faith, what is this about? Contending for the faith is about carrying on the legacy of faith. It's not about your personal legacy. It's not about you or me on an individual level. It is about the legacy of Christ. It is about the legacy of the apostles. It is about the legacy of the church. Contending for the faith is bigger than you or I. Contending for the faith. We have been entrusted with the gospel. We have been entrusted with this faith. We have been entrusted with this salvation. So my question is this. What is going to be the result of our stewardship? 
is it going to continue to just get darker or is the light going to be turned on? Is it going to continue? Are we going to continue to see the, the, the melancholy, this, this half-hearted Christianity? Or are we going to see the passion, the zeal for God burning once again in us that we stand for the truth? The second thing I'd ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, contending for the faith, contending for the faith must, be must be targeted to be effective. Contending for the faith must be targeted to be effective. Verse 4, he says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. And so when Jude started to write this letter, he was motivated to write this letter to encourage their faith. But because, apparently, he doesn't make this clear, but because he apparently came to understand of these men who had crept in, who were bringing, and next week we're going to deal with these different doctrines that they were dealing with, but these men had crept in, and that suddenly changed his course of his heart. It changed the course of his heart because he went from, I want to just encourage your faith, to now I need to call you to contend. Why? Because you, 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 know, you know why he had to call them to contend? And, and can I just, I just want to point this out. He was not writing this letter to the elders of the church. He was not writing this letter to the deacons of the church. He was not writing this letter to the pastors or the bishops or, or whoever. No, no, no. He was writing this letter to the church. You know, you, you know why he has to write these words? Because it's easy to say, Bishop, you deal with that. Pastor Aldo, you deal with that. Minister John, you deal with that. Somebody else, deal with that. I, I'm not going to worry about that. Let somebody, no, no, but wait, 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 time out, time out. We're all called to be contenders for the faith. As in the garden, if you guys think back to the book of Genesis, Satan always slips in and seeks to deceive, does he not? <clears throat> he always does this. He always slips in. He always seeks to deceive. The difference is he has now found people to work through. I want you to, I want you to look at this tweet that I, that I saw that I referenced earlier. I don't know who Jeremy Duncan is. I think he's a pastor of a church. But read these, look at these words with me. He said, so Dave Ramsey gets rich denigrating poor people for Jesus. Now, I was going to mark that out because... I'm not sure I get with that because I haven't heard that. I think I looked up the word denigrating because I'm like, maybe I don't understand what the word means. I don't see any of that. So I, I would say that that part is false. However, everything after that is accurate except for the 40, 41%. It's actually 27%. But look what he says. Ravi Zacharias abuses and manipulates women for decades. Carl Lentz thinks he's a golden god. And 41% of evangelicals still believe in QAnon fantasies. How many of y'all have ever heard of QAnon? Anybody in here? I didn't know what QAnon was, but anyway. And that's just this week. Western Christianity is broken. Do you think it's important for us to defend the faith in the moment in which we live? How many of you guys heard about what happened, the, 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 the report that came out with Ravi Zacharias? Anybody hear about that? Probably one of the most heartbreaking things for me. Because when I look at so much that would be good that he did, all gone. You'd be a fool to quote Ravi Zacharias ever again. Oh, but he did good. It doesn't matter. You know when you talk about judgment, right? Remember we talk about judgment, how all of our works will be tried by fire? 
I think this is an example of what that's going to look like in heaven, but it happened here in the earth. Because everything that he did for however many years that he was out there on college campuses doing everything that he was doing, consumed. Legacy, gone. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. You look at these, the, you know, these things that we are believing. The, and, and listen, I don't say this as though I walk on water. I was, I was talking to Minister Hector, man. Let me tell you something. I want to make it crystal clear. I'm no better than anybody that's on that list. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a super Christian. I haven't arrived somewhere. When I, when I see these things, it brings me to brokenness because I don't want to damage the witness of the gospel. Can I tell you what was one thing that was super encouraging for me when I went to those people? And I'm not saying that it won't happen. Not one person, not one person rejected us because of the things that you hear about in these days, that Christians have messed up their witness. That's not true. This kind of stuff messes us up. It's heartbreaking. You see, the enemy has found people to work through in these days. And what do we have to do? The church has to grow in discernment. We have to grow in our dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And we have to grow in boldness to confront false teachers and false teaching. Listen, there are false teachers. There are false teachings. We need to reject them hands down. We don't need to play with them. We need to placate with them. We need to be clear. This is false. This is not true. We need to be clear about those things. But see, when you look at certain, if you look at a person like Ravi Zacharias, you would have never known. You would have never known that this was someone, and, it, and it's heartbreaking, right, that would depict a wolf in sheep's clothing. I mean, that's heartbreaking for me. When I think about such contention for the faith, such boldness for truth, but that's why we have to be more discerning. That's why we have to know, man, we have to be with God because God reveals stuff. God shows us things. There's just things that don't sit right. But we have to be more dependent upon the Spirit of God. We have to be because when we're dependent on the Holy Spirit, you know what we do? We're bold. We're bold to declare truth. We're bold to call out sin. And that's what we have to do in order to, conf- to contend for the faith. To be sure we have to understand this. These people, they're not our enemies. Our enemies are spiritual but we have to understand this as well, is that those enemies do manifest physically, and we do see them as enemies of the gospel. For the church, understand this, please, and please hear me when I say this. We're not seeking to make the world believe like us. What are we seeking to do? We're seeking to bring the gospel to the world. We're seeking to bring them to faith in Jesus, but we're not trying to make them holy before they become Christian. We're not trying to make them think like we think. That is never going to happen. You're never going to clean a fish before you catch them. Hello. That just doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way. You can have all the grandiose ideas that you want, but until you catch that fish, listen, you can know how to fillet. You can know how to saute. You can know how to do it all. The fact is what? And until you catch the fish, your dreams are never going to become reality. So what we're doing is, in in the face of our world, we are doing our best to preserve our witness. 
to preserve the faith. What does it mean to be a Christian? Listen, I can go up here and I can, I can put a whole bunch of different tweets of people who are trying to redefine what a Christian is, trying to redefine what Christianity is. Church, that's where we need to put our foot down. That's where we need to make it crystal clear. This is what a follower of Jesus is. This is what it means to be a person who follows God. This is what it means to be a believer, not what the world wants to make us. We preserve our faith, but in our midst, well, what are we doing? We are protecting against, and I, I made the, the comment last week that we are protecting against the domestic enemies, the ones that are in the house, the ones that are professing Christians who are introducing damaging doctrines to the church. The, that, that deplete faith, that derail obedience, and that deceive those who are unaware. Think about this. When you live, listen, I want to tell you this. The greatest content, contention, the greatest apologetic for the faith is the life you live. Because I can get up here and I can preach till I'm blue in the face. I can preach till I lose my voice. I can preach until you're so hungry, you're like, Bishop, I got to go. I mean, you start looking in your purse, say, hey, you got something to eat in there? I mean, like, I, I can do all that. But it makes no difference if when I leave this place, I'm not living for the glory of God. That is the greatest defense of the faith. It's not just the words that come out of my mouth. It is the life that I am living. Matthew chapter 7, that made me think about this scripture this week where Jesus says, many will come unto me in that day and will say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do great works in your name? Didn't we cast out devils in your name? And he will say, part from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Notice his words. He does not say to them, you didn't prophesy in my name. He does not say to them, you didn't cast out devils. He does not say to them, you didn't do great works. He says, you are a worker of of iniquity. You are living a life that is filled with sin and unrighteousness. Sounds harsh, but isn't it isn't even worse <laughs> to live a lie in the name of Christ? Isn't it worse to deceive people and to make them hear what you're saying, but then have to wrestle with how you live? I mean, how many stories have we heard looking back? I mean, I, you know, of, of folks who grew up, you know, we have conversations and, and groups and we talk about, man, you know, we have some great stories where it's like, you know, my family, righteous, you know, godly men. I know Eric was sharing about his dad yesterday as we were talking in our group here about his dad and just the great example that he's been and things like that. But there's other people, they don't have that story. There's other folks that say, man, my dad was a Christian on Sunday, but every other day, uh-uh. Heartbreaking. My parents, they weren't living for the glory of God. Why? Because the greatest defense to the faith is the life that we live. The encouragement is what? Look what he goes on to say. He says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. And there's some debate about what that means. But the bottom line is this, is that it was written about them long ago. God is not surprised with what is going on. See, it may shock us. It may break our heart when we hear of another pastor who falls or we hear of another minister who, you know, who, who, who is proven to be someone who is false. It may shock us. God's not shocked. God, listen, their condemnation, this was written about a long time ago. Those who rebel against God, those who reject God's truth, those who live this way, 
Oh, they're going to they're experience judgment. But can I tell you why this is so important for us? It's important for them because if they don't repent, they're going to experience the full wrath of God. But it's not just for them, but it's for all the people who listen to them. It's for all the people who are going to be affected by them in a negative way. It's for them because guess what? Everybody who follows their way of living ends up experiencing the same wrath that they're going to experience. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, contending for the faith, contending for the faith is about... The Lordship of Jesus Christ. Contending for the faith is about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Look what Paul says here. There's three things that mark these creeps. Three things that mark these who have crept in unnoticed. He says they are ungodly men, number one. Number two, they turn the grace of God into lewdness, cheap grace, And number three, they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what marks them. This is why they're going to be judged, because they are ungodly, because they embrace cheap grace, because they deny the lordship of Jesus. It's not because of what was written about them. It's not, that's, that's not the point. What, what Jude is making us know is the reason that they are going to experience the wrath of God is because of these three things. So what are these three things? So the first one, ungodly, ungodly, what does that mean? That means to be godless. It means to live as though God does not exist. Ungodly men, they live as though, what does it mean to live as though God doesn't exist? It means to live a life that is irreverent. It means to live a life that is, that, that, that is destitute of a reverential fear or awe of God. It is to live a life that I'm going to do what I want to do because you know what? When I live as though God is not God, you know who becomes God? You do. Or someone else or some other thing becomes God. But when God is not God, you don't think of the consequences of rebelling against him. You don't consider him as being worthy of reverence, worthy of awe. You live for your own glory. You live for your own pleasure. Ungodly. The second thing is that they turn the grace, listen to these words, they turn the grace of our God into lewdness. Cheap grace. They turn the grace of God. What they do is they say what? They see grace as a license to sin instead of a freedom from sin. They turn the grace of our God into lewdness. They, they, they take the grace of God and rather than realizing God's grace doesn't just save us, God's grace trains us and leads us into holy living. But no, 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 not for these guys. For these guys, the grace of God is them knowing, hey, you know what? I don't have to be restrained at all because you know what I can do? I can ask for forgiveness. As a matter of fact, they believe your sins past, present, and future are already dealt with, so no need to even worry about them. That's called hypergrace. There's no need for real repentance. There is a lack of the fear of God in these people's lives. It's a false type of freedom. The third one is he says, and they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
See, these two other ones is all about the same thing. It, it all culminates here. Ultimately, what they say is this. It's a denial of God's grace. It's a denial of God's sovereign rule. And it is a denial of the soul power of Jesus to save. And it is a denial of the Holy Spirit's role as Lord and leader. Think about that. It is a denial of God's sovereign rule. They deny the only Lord God. They deny the only Lord Jesus Christ. They, they deny him. So they deny God's sovereign rule. They deny the fact that their life is not their own. They think that they rule. They think they make their own destiny. They think that it's all about their will, not God's. They think that either they don't need Jesus because they don't need salvation, or they feel like there's another way to be saved. Like, I can work enough to be saved. And they deny the role of the Holy Spirit as Lord and leader. Because when the Spirit of God dwells in us, what happens? The Scriptures tell us in the book of Romans chapter 8 that those who are sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. They are led by the Spirit of God. And so we have to contend for the faith against these. Why? Here's the thing. The thing is that we cannot expect we cannot expect the kingdom of God to come in this earth until the kingdom of God is real in our lives. See, the reason why we have to contend for the faith against these is because in, in their life, they're not godly. In their life, they deny the, the or they, they embrace cheap grace. They deny the lordship of Jesus. The kingdom of God is not real in their lives. And so how can we pray, Lord, your kingdom come if we haven't submitted to his kingdom within us? See, we have to submit to the kingdom of God. And so here is my closing question for you. Have you surrendered to being a contender? Have you surrendered to being a contender? Have you surrendered? Have you yielded and said, Lord, I want to be a person who contends for the faith? Because can I tell you something? The moment you become a follower of Jesus, whether you do it or not, you're called to be a contender. Because you're either a defender or a denier. That's the reality. <laughs> you are either defending the faith in the way that you're living or you're denying it. You are either living for the glory and the honor of God or you're not. So automatically you're a contender because lifestyle is going to contend for the faith. But then there's this other component, right? There's this other side of it where there's the actual verbal, I have to say something. I can't just let people continue to live in deception and fall into the traps and the plans of the enemy. And so the question is, have you surrendered to being a contender? And maybe you did at one point, and then you have been so conditioned by the world, which is so crazy, because it happens so easily. Because when you're told long enough, yeah, that's inappropriate. <laughs> When, you, when, when, you, when you've been conditioned by a PC culture, again, why did I want to knock on someone's door? I wasn't selling them anything. I'm legitimately not soliciting, right? I am legitimately, I'm, 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 I'm offering them prayer if they would like prayer. I mean, think about it right now. I'm going to be careful, right? I think, Scott, we have to be wise because, you know. But the fact is this. I'm not selling you something. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm offering you. I'm offering you prayer if you want prayer. But we live in this culture. 
And just as Jude wrote to the believers that he wrote to, to exhort them to contend earnestly for the faith. Church, I, 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 I implore you, don't get caught up in all the, all the rhetoric. Don't get caught up in all of what the world is saying about the church. I showed you these words because that guy is, a, is, is part of the church. He is a pastor in the church. And he is exposing what is happening in the church. And we, for the sake of the gospel, have to say, God, I'll be a contender. Bow your heads and let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today that challenges me. And I pray challenges my brothers and my sisters in this place. I pray that we would commit to being contenders for the faith. Holy Spirit, fill, fill us with boldness. Fill us with passion. Fill us with discernment, God, that we would know truth from the lie. And help us, Jesus, Help us to live what we believe and to be unashamed to share it with others. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to partake of communion at this time. If you need communion.